What's in your future? What does the future hold for you? You have asked this question. We have wondered about this question from the time that you were little. Maybe as you've grown older, you stopped thinking about it because the future isn't as long <laughs> as the past is now. But yes, the question is still relevant. Today, there are all kinds of ways people go out trying to find a little bit about their future. Uh, there, there, in recent years, there was kind of a, uh, you know, kind of everywhere you turned, there was, you know, this popularity of psychics and, and um, you know, palm readers, card readers, horoscopes, people looking to the horoscopes, opening up the paper and reading the horoscopes, uh, and just trying to get insight into your future. If you ask people today what's in their future or what's going to happen to them when they die, one of the answers might be this. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. In contrast to that, for the believer, we do know a little bit about what our future holds. Amen? Uh, believers in Jesus Christ know about their future. As believers, we know that according to John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus has come to give us life and to give us life to the full, more abundantly. So you know that about your future if you're a believer, that if you walk with the Lord in your life, that you're headed for, that you should be enjoying an abundant life in Christ. As believers, we know that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. This is what he told the disciples on the night that he was arrested and taken into custody, before that, he told them, I'm going away, and I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And so if, you are, if you've come into the kingdom, if you're one of his, you know this about your future. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you, an abode, a heavenly, a spiritual abode for your soul forever and ever and ever. So you know that about your future. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you are here present upon the earth when he returns for his church, you know that you are going to be caught up to be with him and to go to be with him forever and ever and ever. So Christian, you know some things about your future. Now specifically, if you wanted to get out into the nitty gritty, like what's gonna happen next Friday or Two years from next Thursday. Well, we don't know that specificity, but we can look to the word of God in our lives in such a way that it will affect our future, that it will inform our future, that it will have a consequence in our lives for our future. In Genesis, we have learned about God's plan from the beginning, God's plan to restore what had been lost. He put man in a paradise called Eden, a garden, and it was lost. Uh, there was a famous English author that wrote a great work on that, Paradise Lost, right? And so that paradise was lost, and the, and the story of Genesis really so far has been about God's plan to bring about the restoration of what was lost. And he's done this through the, the, the calling of Abraham and through the promise that he delivered to Abraham concerning his offspring. And 
If you are here tonight and you've been called into the kingdom of God, you are one of those offspring of Abraham that we've been talking about. We used to sing it in kids' church when I grew up. We used to sing a little song called Father Abraham Has Many Sons. Many Sons Has Father Abraham. Remember that? And I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. And then you'd go through all the body parts because you could keep on counting all the sons, all the daughters of Abraham. And, and here's the point. If you're a believer in Christ, you are a part of what has been promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And so we know a little bit about what we're a part of and what our future is. And we come to chapter 49, and what chapter 49 is about is Jacob is basically nearing the end. He's coming to the end of his life. And what these patriarchs did is they would call their sons to them to, to bring a blessing. And we we've, we've went through that where uh, Abraham uh, you know, called Isaac, and, and uh, Isaac, of course, uh, was deceived into giving his blessing to, to Jacob. It was supposed to be for Esau, but there was that whole deception. And now Jacob is dying, and he's calling all of his sons to his side so that, that they, could be, uh, they could receive from him uh, just kind of this final word. Uh, and, it, and, it speaks to, and it's going to speak to them about their future, specifically as it pertains to the tribes that these sons are going to represent in the nation of Israel. Our future is determined by who and what is at our core. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have Jesus, you should have Jesus at the center of your life. And so he is affecting, he is bringing about his will, he's bringing about his plan in your life, and so you should know that you have a good future. But also, if indeed it is the fact that you are Christ's, tonight, then he's also called you to live according to his word. If you are my disciples, then obey my commands, was the way that Jesus put it. And so you could say it this way, adhere to the principles of Christ in your life. And so if we adhere to the values and principles of Christ, it's going to bring about a tremendous uh, impact on our future. Let me put it to you this way. The values we live by determine our future. Now, there's a lot of people out there that want to change their, uh, you know, change their situation, change their status, change something about what's going on in their life. I was driving over on the on beachside this week doing a couple of mattress deliveries, and I guess there's a, there's a fitness place over there. I can't remember what it's called, but it says, life has no remotes. Get up and change it yourself, <laughs> right? And, 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 and the idea within Christianity is that, that, you know, there's something that God has called us to, and he's called us to a relationship with him and to adhere and, and to live our lives according to his values and his commands. And if we will, if we do, those values that we live by are going to determine our future. Where The question is, are we getting the right values in our lives? We should be getting them from the Lord. We should be getting them from God. We should be getting them from the word. In Genesis 49, Jacob gathers his sons to him and he tells them that he's going to 
tell them how it is going to be for them in the days to come. And he gives them a blessing, and it's quite prophetic. In fact, uh, one of the commentators said this is the, the first known prophetic utterance of a man in the, in the Bible. And so it's, again, the foundation of everything. Some, some of his words are not what we would call a blessing. <laughs> we're going to read some of these words tonight, and we're going to go, wow, that wasn't really that much of a blessing. That actually sounds like kind of you know, negative. But, but God, in his, uh, in his way, there are those admonitions, and there are those prophetic voices that would even serve uh, to, to warn us of things. Um, and so let's take all this into account. We're going to look at the different sons tonight. And as we go through each one and as we read it, here's the goal for us to glean what it means for us as a Christian today and how it needs to affect our lives. So let's look at this. We're going to look at Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Let's pick it up in Genesis 49, verse 1. It says this, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed, and then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council, and let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their angry anger, for it is fierce, and the wrath, for it is cruel. And I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And so this chapter starts with the words that he gives to his first three sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. To Reuben, it sounds like he is beginning speaking with him, heaping praise upon him. Um, you are my might and strength, and you are the, you know, the excellency of power and all this. And, and this is you know, something that you would tell the firstborn. Because the firstborn is the, is the might and strength of the family. He is that one that was the excellency of his power and all that. Hey, I'm, I'm a man and I had a man. I had a son, my firstborn son. So there's kind of that to it, but then it turns. He announces that Reuben had defiled uh, his bed. He defiled his couch. It's a reference to Reuben's adultery with Jacob's concubine, Billa that we found in Genesis 35, verse 22, if you're interested in the exact text. Jacob says, because of this, you, you will be unstable as water. water. Water can be pretty unstable, right? If you don't give water some boundaries, it's just going to go in whatever direction that it's going to go, right? And this is, in that sense, it's a terrible pronouncement. Uh, you know, Reuben was as that person who was the firstborn. He was entitled to, to that, that place of honor, the leadership of the family, so to speak, and a double inheritance, according to the scriptures. But because he had done what he had done, he had uh, conducted himself in a way that now Jacob is, is, is comparing and declaring that it, it is likened to that of, of, of the instability of water, uh, 
that this is now kind of um, prophetic of what the tribe of Reuben would be. Uh, in the time of the judges, the tribe of Reuben was characterized by irresolution. Um, they, they weren't resolute in, in their foundations, in, in that, that way of conducting themselves. And we as people, we find ourselves in trouble in our lives generally when there's some irre irresolution in our lives. The more resolute we are specifically pertaining to our relationship with Christ and the values, adhering to the values, the commands of God, the commands of the word, will bring about a certain resolution in our life. And resolution according to our relationship with Christ and adhering to the commands of Christ is going to counteract uh, things of instability and things of irregularity in our lives and for our future. And so if you want to do something in your life, Christian, that is going to have a tremendous impact uh, in your life uh, for your future, something that's going to impact your life and perhaps even change your future because you don't really like your now. <laughs> if you don't like your now and you want your future changed, become more resolute in your relationship with Christ and become more resolute in your adherence to the commands and the values of Christ. And, and this is what we need. And specifically resolution on living your life according to godly and biblical principles. I mean, this is the, you know, how is it that we are going to evaluate our lives in terms of whether we're walking with the Lord? Yes, we have a declaration of our heart, we have a confession of faith, and those are all important things. But James would say, I, I, I need to see the, the action with that faith, the, the, the action confirming that confession of faith, uh, that, 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 that lets me know that there's a saving faith and adherence. It doesn't mean that you're walking in perfection. You're not going to walk in perfection this side of heaven. You're just not going to. John the Apostle wrote in his epistle, if you claim to have not sinned, you deceive yourself. So I, I understand you're not going to walk in perfection, but that does not discount the fact that we need to be resolute as believers in following Christ, living in that close relationship with him and having that adherence to his values and to his standards. And the question is for the church today is where are we getting the values for our daily lives? Where is it that we're receiving these from? Is it, is it from the news? Is it from some news anchor? Is it from some figure on the television? Let's just put it this way. They, they can't be trusted. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this, but, and I hate to like run down the Weather Channel, but you know, Doug Seidel or Mike Seidel or one of these guys, he's out there and he's like, we're out here in the feeder bands and it's really bad and this is one of the worst feeder bands of the entire Florence and the whole thing. And two guys are walking back there just casually behind the you know, camera, okay? Yeah. A lot of it's staged, folks. <laughs> Look it up. It's already got 18 million views, okay? So just trust me, go find that and have a good chuckle tonight. I've been laughing about that one all day. I actually called a couple friends so we could laugh about it together. It's that funny. 
Where are we getting our values? Where are we putting our trust in terms of what's true? And what's the thing that we need to adhere to in our lives? We need to be looking to the Lord. We need to be looking to the word. We need to be allowing God's principles. Who You, you know, as a Christian, God's got some things to say to us about our lives. Right. And, you know, we're, always, we're not always going to agree with God. In fact, I read this. Somebody, some pastor, I think, tweeted this out recently. If, you're, if the God that you're serving is always agreeing with you, you might want to check about who, who, what God you're serving. Okay? Because the God of the Bible has got some things to say about how we're living our lives. And, 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 and there's that, that check in our spirit. And God wants to, through his Holy Spirit, he wants to bring us into that right conviction in our walk and in our, our daily life. And so resolution really, is what we need, and Reuben didn't really have it. And so that's something that we can learn from this particular passage. Now, Jacob goes on, he talks about Simeon and Levi. And, um, you know, Simeon and Levi, you know, it's, it's interesting where, you know, there's, you know, these things that are said to the sons, you know, it seems to be that where there's a particular action that they had in their life that seems to be the thing that was like the misstep or the, the thing where, you know, kind of, they, you know, it wasn't the greatest decision of their life, right? And for Simeon and Levi, it was that occasion uh, when, we, when we went through the chapter. Remember that was the massacre? <laughs> the chapter that was the massacre of, the, you know, the Dinah situation. Dinah was the, the boy's sister and they went out and the, the boy had kind of taken advantage of her, the, the young man. And and, um, and, and really, you know, kind of overpowered her, you know, in the language, it's actually that strong. And, and yet he wanted her. And so they made this agreement that they were going to enter into a mutual living arrangement with this, with these Canaanites. And they made them agree that they were going to be circumcised like they were. And after they had agreed to it and they were circumcised, it was Simeon and Levi that came in and, and, basically massacred those men. And, and it was, the chapter ended, remember that chapter where it was like, you know, he had this conversation with, with Jacob and they said, you know, you have made me a stench in the nostrils of the people of this land. And they answered back and said, well, are we just going to let them do this to our sister? And then boom, the chapter's over. You know, it just kind of leaves you with that. And, but this, the, the point um, that I think that Jacob is making here is that you know they really kind of took matters into their own hands. They took vengeance into their own hands, really, uh, and and so they you know really with that, um, it, it's kind of a thing where I think that that you know what's what's being said here is is that we need to not do that. We need to be people who allow the Lord. Uh, you know, the, the Bible has the admonition that we're not to be vengeful people. We're not to have vengeance. Um, and if you're a person that lives by vengeance, if you're a person that lives by, you know, and there are people that live by the motto that, you know, that they're going to get, you know, people back and that they're going to, you know, that you, if you do this to me, then you're going to get yours and, and, and this type of thing. And you will hear this, this talk when people feel like they've been wronged and now you're, you know, you're going to get yours and, and, and all this. And for the believer, really, you know, we need to kind of 
we, ne- we need to leave that in the Lord's hands. You know, one of the things that we can trust with the Lord is the justice of God and that there is an ultimate justice that, that is going to happen in the universe. That's the thing that separates us philosophically from the, the atheist and the person who um, is just kind of following after that because in um, an atheistic philosophy, there's no ultimate resolution or ultimate justice. And so that's, that's a real problem. And so, um, you know, if there is no God, the person that gets away with it gets away with it, you know, but not in God's system, <laughs> you know, and that's why he says, and he reminds us in the scriptures through the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, you'll see it up on the screen. He said this, beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. So, you know, this is the admonition from the New Testament, how to handle this situation, uh, perhaps that Simeon and Levi and the family was involved with. We, we want to, you know, it's not a, up to us to, to bring about the justice sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes there is that case where, um, you know, justice is in our hands. But, if, but I think what the Lord would say, if, justice, if the justice of the situation is not in our hands, we are not to take vengeance. We are not to be vengeful people. And I've never met a vengeful person, someone who kind of has that kind of spirit about them. I've never met them. I've never met a person that, that, uh, like that that was a flourishing person, that was a positive person, that was a flourishing person, that had this kind of upward, like, great future in front of them type of a thing. It's always been kind of a negative person out to, 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 to right the wrongs that have been done. And sometimes you have to... You, you know, I mean, Jesus put it this way. He said, you know, if, you, if you're struck on the, the one cheek, offer, offer the other cheek as well. You know, not that you're saying, roll over me like a doormat or steamroller or whatever. No, God's not calling us to be run over or bulldozed. Um, but he's, he's calling us to be meek. Blessed are the meek, right? For they shall inherit the earth. And meekness is actually power under control under the control of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to realize that. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Um, so the promise to Simeon and Levi is that they would be scattered in Jacob, in Israel. So what's that? that's referring to when uh, the people, the, the, the nation was brought back, into, back across the river into the land after the, um, the sojourn in, in Egypt, uh, and, they, and the, the, the tribes were given an allotment of land, an inheritance in the land. They were scattered. The, 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 the promise was that they would be scattered. Uh, Sim, Simeon was largely dis, disintegrated uh, with its land inside that of Judah. And so they, they literally became, the, the net effect was that they were kind of, it had a kind of a scattering effect upon them. Levi was also scattered, but afforded an honorable dispersion because it was the priestly tribe. And so it had a inheritance of cities, the Levitical cities. 
Uh, and we don't have time to get into that, but that's actually a powerful study, the, 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 the Levitical cities. But anyways, um, and so they received their inheritance uh, as the priestly tribe. So uh, that was that. Now let's move on. So that's Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Let's move on to Judah, verse 8. Let's pick it up back in the text. It says this, Judah, you are, uh, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. You sh- you, your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is the lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from, from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes, and his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. So this section is about Judah, the fourth born. So you had Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, the three, and now you come to Judah, who was the fourth born, the fourth born son of Leah. Now, as we just read through that, you might say, well, <clears throat> wow, that, that, that's kind of a little bit of a change of direction. That seems a lot more positive than the first three, <laughs> than the first three pronouncements over Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And if you were Judah on this particular occasion, as Jacob is delivering these, these little uh, pieces of, of uh, these, these words to his son, and you finally got to you, and you've just heard what he said to Reuben, you heard what he said to Simeon and Levi, and you're thinking about all the things that you've done, you're thinking, okay, great, I'm, I'm not going to fare so well in this situation, because you're thinking of all the missteps that you've had. And Reuben ha- or Judah had his own missteps. He wasn't completely an exemplary character. Uh, he suggested a profit motive in getting rid of Joseph. Uh, he did not deal faithfully with his daughter-in-law, Tamara, and, 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 lit- and actually had sex with her as a prostitute in Genesis 38. Um, but he did have a couple of things on the, on the good side of the ledger, so to speak. He showed good character when he interceded and offered himself as a substitute for Joseph. Uh, and, and so he receives this, uh, this, this, this prophecy, really. Uh, Judah, you, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. And of course, his name, meant, his name actually is praise. Right, and um, his your brothers will praise. And there's going to be a concentration towards you know. There's going to be attention on the tribe of Judah in that sense. Um, your hand shall be upon the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. And Judah is a lion's whelp. And so here's where you begin to see this connection with the tribe of Judah and this uh, this this iconography of a lion. Uh, and so you see this connection. Um, and and um, so you, you get all the way uh, into the rest of the book, and we realize, and we're going to look at this here, where um, it speaks of, of you know, the, the, a prophecy of the, of the Messiah coming, and that he is from Judah. And later we learn in Scripture that he's the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And so you begin to see this connection with, with Judah and this idea of the lion. 
And he says, uh, he bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? And, um, you know, the idea is, is he, th there's an aggressive nature to the tribe of Judah um, that he, he is, is a successful tribe. He goes out and, um, you know, does things. He's there with the prey. The, the picture there is literally with the young lion with the prey, and they're sitting in the, he's just kind of sitting, and he's got his, you know, dinner, you know, and he's about to have dinner because I went out, and I got this, and I'm, you know, I'm good, you know, type of thing, and, uh, and so that's, that's kind of the imagery. Uh, so, but then you come down to uh, really um, where you get into the messianic aspect of this, and it says, um, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, this, this talks about uh, the fact that, that Judah would have that, would be that tribe of, of the kingship of Israel, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah, that Judah was, uh, would be the tribe, would be a tribe that would rule and reign, and that the scepter would not depart from Judah. And what we can learn from this as Christians for today uh, and, and for our lives is that you know, we're also to be, uh, we've also been called kings. We've also are part of that ruling class, if you will, um, in that sense. We, as Christians, are called kings. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5, I'll throw it up on the screen, chapter 5, verse 10, this is the, this is the song, this is, these are the words, this is the confession of the 24 elders in heaven uh, in Revelation chapter 5, and, and this is at the close. I did, we don't have time to read that whole section, but this is at the close, and it says, and, and, and you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So this is a confession. This is a song of the 24 elders, which I don't have time to really get into the nitty-gritty deep down into this, but the 24 elders is, um, the, the number 24 comes from the 24 uh, groups that David divided the Levitical priesthood into as a way of kind of having a schedule for the priestly duties uh, at the temple, at the tabernacle. And so there was a representative from each of these 24 sections. And when you had the 24 representatives present, you had a representation of the whole of the priesthood. And so when you see in heaven the 24 elders surrounding the throne, you have an imagery, you have a picture of, uh, of, the, of the complete uh, royal priesthood of all believers there before the throne of God, before the throne room of God. Amen? And so what is the confession of the royal priesthood of believers? You have made us priests and kings, and we will rule and reign, and we shall reign upon the earth. Now, that is your future, Christian. We're going to rule and reign with Christ, we asked the question this, at the beginning, what's in your future? Well, let me tell you. Remember when we just had the royal wedding? And I, and I told you that, that you're a royal, <laughs> right? That we're a royal priesthood, that we're, that we're kings and queens in the kingdom, that we're going to rule and reign, and we shall reign upon the earth with the Lord. Now, Amen. that is in our future, but also what is in your now and your future as you look out to it 
on the rest of your days here upon the earth. We're also called to rule. We are kings in the kingdom now. And this struck me when I began to do a study on um, this, and it really kind of dawned on me one day when I really kind of locked hold of this idea of the royal priesthood of all believers, that we're royal and we're priests. We're kings and priests. And when I really started kind of locked down on that mentally, I thought, I said, okay, so wait a second. We're, we're a royal priesthood. We're, we're kings and priests. So we're kings. So we're kings. But, but I thought he was the king. Well, no, no, no. He's the king of kings. Amen? And I always thought about that in my mind about what's the king of all the rest of the kings out there in the world. You know, when we don't have a king here in the United States, but there are other kings. There are other kingdoms upon the earth. And so he's the king of the king. No, no, no. He's the king of kings. All right? And we're right there with him. And he has given to us a, a, a job to do. He's given you direct uh, uh, stewardship over your life, over the, the, the talents that he's put into your life, the giftings that he's placed in you, the financial resources and all the other resources that he's given to you, the time, the, your very life has been given to you and you have been charged as, as a king, as, as, as a person who from the creation was created and we went through this in that second chapter or the, the first chapter that you were created that mankind was created as the image remember we talk about that you know that in the in the in the image of god he created them and the idea there can be and i and i think it is is as the image because it's an it's it's a it's a it's a bestowal of a status upon mankind to represent who god is who christ is upon the earth and that's your calling. And so if you want to talk about what your future is and what your tomorrow is about and what your next year is about, no matter what happens, you, Christian, are a king. You're a royal priesthood of believers and you have been called to rule and reign with Christ. You have been called to govern and to steward your life according to the principles that Christ is speaking into your life in and through his word and in and through the church that's the pillar and ground of truth. And so here's the question. How are you, how are you ruling? <laughs> how are you reigning? Now, everybody wants to point fingers at politicians and say, well, they're not doing it right, and they're not doing it right, and he shouldn't be, and blah, blah, blah. How are you doing? <laughs> ruling and reigning in your own life, and governing, and, and, and making those decisions, and having been given... That status from the king of kings to you, that place and that, that opportunity to rule and reign with him upon the earth. And I think that's, that's kind of an incredible question to ask ourselves. And I think it's probably something that we need to, you know, ask ourselves on a regular basis. You know, how are we doing? Are, are, you, are you reigning well? Are you reigning well? God wants you to. He wants you to. And we represent his rule and kingship by exercising the rule that he has shared with us and that he has given to us. So, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Let's read it. Verse 10. 
The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. I want to just stop right there for a second. Until Shiloh comes. A lot of the commentators uh, take that to be this idea of Shiloh um, from various, uh, various of the manuscripts and the targums. This idea of Shiloh and connecting that to Messiah. And in fact, the, NSA, the NAS uh, renders the third line until Shiloh comes. Uh, many sources, including the Targum, uh, see Shiloh as the title of the Messiah until he comes, whose scepter to who... To, to whom it belongs. Amen? And so the scepter is going to be in the tribe of Judah until Shiloh comes. And so what was the promise? What was the promise to Mary? Uh, what was the promise delivered uh, at the annunciation of Mary being with, with Christ, right? Uh, that, that announcement to her that you will be, you know, that you were highly favored, Right? You will, you will, you will bear Jesus, and He will be the Savior, and He will sit upon the throne of David, right, in the tribe of Judah. So it's it's His rightful throne, and He is going to take His rightful place. Amen. All right, well, let's move on. Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Naphtali. Pick it up, verse 13. It says this, Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw the rest was good, and the land was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Dan shall judge his people. As one of the tribes of Israel, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels, so that its rider shall fall backwards. And I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop, shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. Let's finish it up. Joseph is, is a fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bow remained his strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. For there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the, by the God of your father who will help you, and the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills and they shall be the head of joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers benjamin is a ravenous wolf and in the morning he shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil well we just took it all the way down to to benjamin there uh zebulun Zebulun and Naphtali are kind of combined. Um, you know, this is, this is in and around the area of Galilee. I have a particular 
you know, I don't know if you read through the names and some of these names, you know, you might go, okay, Judah, I know the tribe, Lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, the rest of these names, you might kind of go, oh, well, I don't really feel like a connection to them. Zebulun and Naphtali, I want you to feel a connection to because these were the tribes that inherited the land that became the land of Galilee. And Galilee was the place, the, the area of Zebulun and Naphtali was the area that first uh, felt the scourge of, of the Assyrians in 722 BC. The Lord had warned Israel about its idolatry uh, and, and on and on and on, continually warned through the prophets that they would turn from this and they, they did not relent. And so the first wave came through, the, the first scourging came through the, the, the attack of the Assyrians and that came directly into the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so they were kind of the first uh, assaulted in that sense. But they were also the first to hear the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ because Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen? And, uh, and so, the, so, so there's always uh, the gospel present, even uh, the grace for those who've perhaps received the harshest of uh, situations. So you have Zebulun, um, and he would be en enriched um, because of this connection of close proximity uh, to the to the sea trade uh, through the through the uh, the Mediterranean and the connection there and the close proximity to, to Sidon, um, the tribe of Zebulun was noted for its faithfulness um, to da David, supplying the largest number of soldiers to David's army of any single tribe. Of Zebulun, there were fifty thousand who went out to battle. Expert in war with all weapons of war and the men who would keep ranks. Um, the tribe of Issachar would be forced to work for others. Um, they, they, uh, because of their size and abundance, they were often targets of oppressive foreign armies who put them into servit servitude. Thus they became a band of slaves. Um, you know, one commentator put it this way, the meaning seems to be that Issachar was strong but docile and lazy. Uh, that he would enjoy the good land assigned to him but would not strive for it. Therefore, eventually, he would be pressed into servitude and a mere bearing of burdens of his, of his masters. And so you can, you can find a lesson there. Mm -hmm. Amen? You know, because what God has given you, you have to have a... a, 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 a taking care of it. <laughs> you know, attention to it, you know, and, um, you know, whatever it is that he's given you. It would be amazing to ride down through, through the streets and see, you know, just in some neighborhoods where maybe it's disrepair. What if everybody decided to literally get up and say, you know what, I don't have much, but I'm going to take care of this that I do have. I'm not going to let this sit like this. I'm going to pick the weeds. I'm going to paint the fence. I'm going to do whatever I can to take care of this. And I think I, I, I do believe that that's what God's called us to. And, and if we'll do that, I think there's blessing in that, and there's something that projects us forward towards a better future. In that sense, Dan shows. Uh, you know, Dan is another whole. That's another whole study, really, uh, because Dan is the tribe that ends up inheriting the land on the far north of the, the, the country. And the problem with that is there was a close proximity 
to one of the most vile, evil places on the planet. You say, are there, is there connection, is there a connection with evil and geography? And the answer to the question is yes. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever walked into a place or been into a new place or whatever, and you're like, oh, what, what's this? And just you've discerned in your spirit something spiritually is not right. Maybe, it's a, maybe you went to another country. Maybe you went to another city. Maybe you went to a particular place. But there is a connection with that. And because of Dan, where Dan was located, in the proximity towards really Hermon, Mount Hermon, which is actually where the Genesis 6 uh, situation happened, where the, the watchers descended through Mount Hermon and that all. And, and that connects into when Jesus is standing there at Caesarea Philippi at the base of Hermon, and he's asking, and he's, and he's literally uh, asking this question, who do men say that I am, and who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not delivered this to you, but, but, but by my Father in heaven. And, and, and you shall be Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and, and the gates of, of Hades... The powers of death and the powers of the enemy that are represented in this geography that we're standing in right now, the power, the gates of Hades will not overcome it and prevail against it. So Dan ends up into, in, in, into some trouble because of that. Now, he, he was not included in the, in the, the tribe of Dan is, is the missing... You know, you get to Revelation, and it's like, which tribe is missing from the list in the tribe of the, the section with you know, the 144,000, and all the tribes are represented by 12,000 members? And this is where the Jehovah's Witnesses got this idea that it was 144,000, and then they, have to, they, they had to keep amending their theology, you know? <clears throat> which tribe is missing? Dan. Dan is not there because of of the trouble that, that, he, that he got into because of that proximity and that, that close geography. But he's also in the Ezekiel passage, in the, uh, he's also present in the listing of those tribes. And so no matter, I think there's a lesson in scripture, no matter who it is or what you've been through, what your name is, where you lived, how bad you feel like you've had it, what side of town you felt like you were on that was the worst, that was the bad. You got, you know, if, if life's a game of poker, you had a three and a two and a six and a four of clubs, you know? And that's how you feel, okay? Here's what the Bible says about you. There's grace for you, and it's extending and pouring out for you. And if you'll draw near to God, God's gonna draw near to you, and you're gonna be blessed, and you're gonna have a blessed future. And that is the message all the way through the scriptures. Amen. Man, I got to, this is a lot to go through in, in one sitting here, but do you think we can make it? In like five minutes? Wow. Let me just talk to you. We talked about Joseph. We talked about Ephraim, the blessing last week, or not last week, but two weeks ago, the blessing of of. Joseph's sons and how Joseph, Joseph's sons were now counted as 
uh, uh, as Jacob's own and would be counted as member tribes in the nation. And so we kind of dealt with uh, Joseph. And of course, Joseph receives a special blessing uh, because of just everything he went through, (laughs) you know, and he was just that one that was just kind of the one that God used and put him through the ringer, so to speak, for the rest of them to be saved alive upon the face of the earth so that the, so that the, the thing could continue and, the, and God's promises could, could come to pass upon the face of the earth through uh, Jacob and his sons. And so then you come down to Benjamin. Benjamin was the last son, right? The portrayal of, of Benjamin as a, ra- a ravenous wolf seems to portray the, the aggressive activity, and some have suggested a warlike character. The, Be- the Benjaminites were farmers and archers and slingers. Uh, the judge Ehud was of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul and Jonathan were the tribe of Benjamin. So you had Saul and Jonathan. And then you had like the anointing of David, and that's where the scepter went to Judah, right? And then there was one other notable person from the tribe of Benjamin. Anybody know who it is? He actually says it in one of his letters. Paul. You know, in in that passage in Philippians where he's talking about, you know, he's not boasting. He's like, if anybody could boast, it's me. You know, because I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, I'm of the stock of Israel. I, I, I was circumcised upon the eighth day concerning the law of perfection of the tribe of Benjamin, right? He's just kind of listing his resume and he's saying, look, if anybody could boast, it's me. By the way, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I don't know, I, no, I don't know if I am, but like, you know, Benjamin, right? Benjamin's an aggressive tribe. You see that aggressive nature in Paul. Amen. You see this, and um, yeah, it's, it, it, it doesn't hurt to have that a Benj, uh, that, that aggressive Benjamin uh, type of uh, go getedness. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, you know that that I have come across in in just things that I've looked at concerning just life and business and motivation is that uh, a lot of people uh, you know tend to be a little bit more reserved about things a little bit more cautious a little a lot, not as not as benjaminite <laughs> not as you know kind of out there aggressive and and um, I was looking at this video that well, was this kind of this entrepreneurial business guy, and he was saying, and he gives a lot of advice to young people that come and listen to his talks, and um, encourages them to, you know, to go for their dreams and 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 to you know to 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 go out and do it, so to speak. And in, in one of the videos, he said, he said, you know what? When I have I have young people come up to me all the time, and. Um, one of the biggest things, you know, one of the, you know what they are looking for me from me when they ask, when they want to talk to me just one on one. They're looking for just somebody to say to them, to look them in the eyes and say, "Go do it, just go do it." 
and, 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 and some of them have come from all these families and they've been brought up in these schools with, the, you know, the, with all the great self-esteem care and they, you know, their papers weren't marked with red ink and stuff like that. <laughs> but they just need somebody to look them in the eye and say, you can do it, go do it. And I think that's exactly what the Lord would say to us about our lives and what he's called us to do. He would look at us and say, look, you know, let me just look at you. Let me just tell you tonight. Go do what God's put on your heart to do. Go do what's in your heart. Go do what God's gifted you to do. Don't worry about the, the, the critic the skeptical family member, the person who says, well, I don't know if you can do that. You know, you're, you're, you're getting kind of old. <laughs> I think, you know, you can go down through the stories of all the people that were, a lot of people were successful in their old age. <laughs> you know, I think Colonel Sanders, he wasn't. <laughs> right? I don't think he was successful until like way deep into his, Right? Do the research. I'm, I'm just here to tell you. Just do. And you don't need Nike to tell you. You need the Lord to tell you. You know, actually Paul said it that way. You read that chapter 12 where he says, basically, look, you've been saved. You've been, you, were, you were a sinner. You were completely just away from God. God took care of the whole thing by coming down here and being a perfect man and going to a cross and taking your sin and my sin and all the sin of the world, taking it upon him, taking the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He went to the cross. He died. He was buried. He was resurrected on the third day. He came powerfully out of the grave on the third day. And because he did all that for you who were separated from him, what should you do? Give your life to Christ. Put your life on the altar for Christ being a living sacrifice and go out and do what it is that God's put in your heart to do. Go out and use the giftings that God has given and speak words of kindness, speak words of love. Go and do. If you want to Learn to sew and make purses. Make purses and sew and and do some great thing for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.